1: Hello everybody and welcome to the tip of the iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host Nick Brulansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat, and believe it or not we are in the penultimate week of the 2022-23 NHL regular season. The Pittsburgh Penguins have yet to clinch a playoff spot. And we might be waiting until that very last game next Thursday for the Penguins to actually punch their ticket to a 17th straight Stanley Cup playoffs. Sure
0: seems that, sure seems that way. I, I, we keep looking at you know the Islanders and the <clears throat> uh, Florida Panthers schedule. One thing I have not thought to look for is, what are their last games? Do we have Who? to... The Islanders or Panthers, do we have to see what they do or like do we have that day before i'm curious to know what day of the week it is or because the penguins finish up on april 13th Mm -hmm. when do the islanders and panthers
1: finish up i believe uh both of them finish up that same day the only team that might be a wild card in this situation is the buffalo sabers who still have a chance to kind of get back into this into this race with two games in hand on basically everybody. They play the Panthers free, tonight, though. Uh, that, that again, could, that could do a chance to get back into this race. Yeah, they have a game on Friday, April fourteenth. One of only two games on the last day of the NHL regular season. Ooh, there there you go. That's where it gets interesting. Mm-hmm. And that that last game is against the Columbus Blue Jackets on the second half of a back to back because the Blue Jackets will have played here the Pittsburgh Penguins at on home ice. Uh, on Thursday oh boy <laughs>
0: oh boy yeah uh-huh. that'll be a fun one uh, let's see the Islanders finish up on the 12th <clears throat> so the day before and because things are slow and I'm trying to and we're not doing good radio so far love that for us the Panthers. Yeah, thankfully this isn't a radio show get, Panthers finish up on the 13th they play Carolina so
1: okay. there you go <clears throat> so with that in mind The Pittsburgh Penguins, 10 days remaining Mm -hmm. in the Penguins' regular season. Five games remaining on the slate. It's going to be a race to the finish for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're going to need to get wins every single game. You can't leave it up to anybody else. They control their own destiny, which is a good thing, but it's also a bad thing in in that the pressure is on you to perform because if you don't, then you're going to need some help, and that's a position that nobody wants to be in. But we have plenty to get to today. Let's start out with Chris Letang. I talked about it on Friday on Penguins to Go before it happened. It did, of course, happen as he played both Saturday and Sunday games. He plays his 1,000th game against the Philadelphia Flyers. What does that mean for the organization that Letang was able to get to that milestone in the same year that Evgeny Malkin did a couple months earlier?
0: Uh, It means quite, quite a lot to the organization. I can't really remember what sullivan said about it but uh from my perspective it means that uh one of the greatest trios in the history of the sports have uh, really solidified so much more than what they were even pre-pandemic really um before they all hit a thousand games and especially given the tumult that took place this past summer with uh the contract negotiations between Crosby or not Crosby uh, <clears throat> Malkin and Latang that they both could have been celebrating that achievement with a different team. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It would have been far different than what it was. I think it's good for the organization. Not only that Crosby did it a couple years ago, that uh, Malkin did it this season and Al Letang did it this season. It just so- solidifies and cements so much of their legacy that, um, those are three Hall of Famers, and the numbers are going to speak for themselves. They're three of the greatest players in franchise history, and they got to each share a moment that's never happened before in Penguins history. 1,000 games. Mm-hmm. Have players celebrated their 1,000th game in Pittsburgh? Yes, but I think it's only like two. Um, it's a rare accomplishment. It's a rare achievement, and the fact that the Penguins got those three players to do it all with them,
1: um, not enough impressive words can be said about it. Yeah, 1000 games and 1000 points seem to be the two milestones that NHL players when it comes to just personal accolades not including any of the awards or any Stanley Cup championships, personal accolades it seems like 1000 games, 1000 points are the two really really big ones that are always celebrated a lot in locker rooms. Uh but for Chris Letang Obviously, I said a lot on Friday. He's a three time Stanley Cup champion. He's the third Pittsburgh Penguin to ever reach that milestone with the team, the first defenseman to do a thousand games with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And if you look at the way that he's been playing, it doesn't look like he's slowing down. Like he had a rough start to the season, but over the past month, maybe six weeks, He's been really, really good for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He still makes his his Chris Letang mistakes where he's going to turn the puck over. He's going to make a move that's going to be classified in in the fan base as boneheaded. But overall, his game as a whole has gotten to, again, a level to, to where it was last year when he had a career season for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He just continues along with Crosby and Malkin, to just raise the bar every single year and continue to play at an elite level, despite, of course, his advanced age, which is something we've said about all three of them all season long.
0: Yeah, they've all proven to still be able to cut it. Uh, If, I mean, heading into the season, there was people that said, we shouldn't bring back, you know, we shouldn't bring back Malkin. We shouldn't bring back Littang. We shouldn't bring back either of them. Um, You're all wrong. It's just point blank. They are... Three of the best players on this team right now. We ignore Malkin's mishaps last game, and uh, maybe we'll, we'll talk about it. But there was, um, <clears throat> it, it, but putting that aside, they're three of the best players, obviously on the team. Crosby's, after, among the best players in the league this year. It's none of this is their fault. None of the issues that we've been having is their fault, and I think that's a, ha- like I think that's a nail we've been trying to hammer home all season just because people still want to point fingers, and it's, at this point it's a losing argument. This, There are plenty of fingers to be pointed at this team. There are so many. Uh, none of them go toward Krasi Malkin or Letang. None of them. None of them. Uh, and it goes to, in just these career milestones, it's, it's a big part of what their legacy is now beyond this season. And I think... That's obviously the more important or yeah, that's obviously the most important thing when it comes to these milestones, is their legacy as a throughout their career. But the fact that they're able to have this achievement and it's not, you know, a well, you were almost there, but then you started falling apart skill wise, like like Kessel or Keith Yandel going for their consecutive games played thing. It was yeah, they're getting there. <clears throat> it's in Keith Yandel's case especially. And let's be real, they, they weren't going to cut it on certain teams, right? Phil Kessel hit 1,000. I think he hit like 1,002, 1,003, 1,004, and then the Golden Knights were like, all right, that's enough of that. You're getting healthy scratch. You're not good enough. Like, that's one thing about each of these three players is that they've never hit that point. Mm -hmm. And that's saying something. Because, again, not everyone gets to do that. Listen to some of the comments that, uh, those little video messages that some of the players were sending in. I forget who, said, who it was exactly, but they said it's not an achievement everyone gets to hit. But mm-hmm. he did. Especially the stuff that Chris Tang himself has gone through. He said it himself in uh, the Athletic article with Josh, you know, everyone should go read. He didn't think he would get there. Yeah. And now here we are. So, good on Latang, It's an incredible accomplishment no matter how you look at it. Whether or not he scored or not doesn't matter either. That's... As fun no, as that would have de- been, he's, but it's, he's a defenseman. It yeah. would have been
1: great, but like at the end of the day, he's still a defenseman. Like you don't expect him to go out there and score in every single game, and right. him not scoring does not take away from the accomplishment. And uh, to me, the biggest thing about it is Crystal Tang hits a thousand games, Kenny Walken hits a thousand games, Sidney Crosby hits a thousand games, and in that time, the Pittsburgh Penguins win all three of those ceremonial games, and not to mention they they hit. They won the game that Malkin actually hit a 1,000 games in Chicago as well. So 4-0 in uh, celebration of the Big 3's 1,000th game mark. Let's move over and talk a little bit about special teams for the Pittsburgh Penguins because all season, it's really been an issue for them. Power play, penalty kill, they've each had their discussions where both of them have struggled at times. Both of them have been really good at times as well. But it seems like right now they need both of them to start kicking it into high gear. But the question becomes then, which unit is more impactful for the rest of the season? There's five games left. If the Penguins could only have one unit, obviously they need both. But if they could only have one unit show up and play better throughout this final stretch of five games, which is more impactful, the power play or the penalty kill?
0: <clears throat> I mean, I have to say the penalty kill. I wanted to say power play right away, but... Um... This team has proven to be able to score five on five all season. Hmm. You cannot, cannot give up as many power play goals as they have. That game against Boston was a little ridiculous, right? You give up two of three uh, on the on the PK, and then you go over six on the on the power play. You stop one of those goals from happening; it's a different ball game. You score once on one of your six opportunities of the man advantage, including a five on three you're changing the outcome of the game. The thing is, though, again, this team can score at 5-on-5. Five five. They've been doing it all season because the power play's been letting him down most of the season. Mm-hmm. So I think getting a penalty kill into gear, especially with... If Evgeny if Malkin can't straighten himself out a little bit, if... Um, I, at one point, Sidney Crosby was leading the team of penalty minutes. Leave that one out there. Um, especially if your guys are going to keep taking calls. Keep collecting two-minute minors keep collecting four minutes you know this at the other um you got to have a squad that can kill penalties off because this team can score five on five giving up a power play goal though that could swing everything especially come down coming down the down the line here um we you know new jersey's got a great power play we minnesota's a great scoring team there's let's say it, may, it reaches the postseason who knows who we're playing but we already saw what boston can do 0 for six, on the power play. I mean, but then the two for three on the PK. Are, yeah, they're two for three on the power play. It's stuff you got to watch out. Both of them in the dying seconds, no less. By the way, yeah, you gotta finish those off, and you have to be able to control that. Carolina is another possible
1: opponent. Got to mm-hmm. be able to stop them. So I'm gonna go yeah. with the penalty kill. Let's not forget that a team coming up on the schedule on Saturday. The Penguins played last week and their power play ran circles around the Pittsburgh Penguins penalty kill. And that's the Detroit Red Wings. I mean, it it looked like NHL versus ECHL at times when it was the, the Red Wings power play and the Penguins penalty kill in that game. So yeah, I agree that the Penguins penalty kill is going to need to be better. Both of these units need to be better for the Pittsburgh Penguins to be any good, but the power play in my eyes is way more impactful because look who's on the ice for the power play. If that unit is not scoring for you, if that unit is not doing their job, and they're giving momentum to the other team, that's like a double whammy to me. Because if the penalty kill is struggling, yes, it sucks, you're down a goal, but the Penguins have the 5-on-5 ability to come back, score goals, and try to tie things up. They're playing really well at 5-on-5 and have been for some time, now the finishing is a different conversation altogether, and being able to actually finish your opportunities, but they've been getting enough opportunities, but the power play... If you're not scoring and you're not building momentum on that man advantage, not only are you wasting that time where you should be scoring a goal, changing the face of the game, you're wasting ice time for your top players because they're all out there at the same time. And if they're not able to do anything in that time, that's two minutes of ice time where who comes on the ice right after the power play? It's a combination of third and fourth liners. And sometimes you can throw in like a Brian Rust because he's not in the top power play unit anymore but most of your good players are gassed after a power play opportunity, especially if they continue to have to skate the whole way back into the defensive zone and skate the 200 feet up the ice like they have been so many times this season. The power play, like you mentioned, was was not good this weekend. 1-for-10 all weekend long, including 0-for-6 against Boston. They have the New Jersey Devils coming up tonight. I looked it up, Horwat. Against the Devils, the Penguins are 1-for-16 on the power play this season. They need to, starting tonight be much better on that man advantage because they've shown that they're going to struggle defensively all season. They've shown that their penalty kill is going to give up opportunities and is going to be as volatile as the rest of the team is going to be. But you cannot be missing these opportunities on the man advantage, not just to score, but to build the momentum. Yes, a penalty kill can give the other team a lot of momentum, but especially when they have just as many shots on goal as you and those shots are coming on man, man advantages or Odd Man rushes because either Malkin or Tang try to make an amazing pass up at the blue line. They turn the puck over and one of them just doesn't get back. The Penguins need to be stout when they're on the man advantage. I think it's way more important uh, than the penalty kill. Not to say that it isn't important that the Penguins get better on the penalty kill because they need to. But at the same time, I, I think the power play, getting that to go right in the last five games is going to be that much more because it'll just put the penguins in an entirely different stratosphere as far as the goals they're able to score.
0: Yeah. Th- this power play has been so abysmal. I'm shocked. It's hovering around league average. Like.
1: Yeah. league I average 15th in the NHL right now.
0: Yeah. It's 15th. in The NHL It's running at a 21.4% pace. The league
1: average is 21.42. How? This They've been really s- good at home, but they haven't been as of late. It's. It's just so
0: terrible. It's, I don't know how else to put it. If, if there's any consolation for tonight, at least the
1: devil's power play is 21.43. I don't... Yeah, but they always score against the Penguins. Of course they do. Yeah, Dougie Hamilton seems to always score a power play goal against the Pittsburgh Penguins.
0: So bad. And also the PK is hovering, hovering in and around league average too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just a little above. That being said, though, just... The special teams is bad. So bad. Yeah. Regardless, no matter what happens when there's a man down, the Penguins are giving up a scoring chance. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't know how that works.
1: It's not supposed to work that way, but...
0: Yeah, it's horrendous. Yeah, but like,
1: yeah, that's that's where we started this conversation, is the Pittsburgh Penguins have played pretty well at 5-on-5. Five five. Like, defensively, offensively, they've been getting more opportunities. They've been getting more shots on goal. They've been getting more shot attempts than other teams, especially over the past couple of weeks. But the results don't always follow because, one, their finishing ability isn't great, and two, because their special teams have been so god-awful. So the the correct answer, honestly, is they need both of them to be better. But I think when it comes to most impactful, I say power play, you say penalty kill, and that's just a testament to how both really need to get better. Yeah, no, that really is, though. They both need to get better. <clears throat> I think we can both
0: agree that obviously both need to get better. The To the extent of which, though, is where it gets tricky. I mean... Ideally, you score on as many power plays as possible, and you don't,
1: and you nail a
0: 100 penalty kill.
1: I don't know how else to put it. And if you get six opportunities on the power play, you need to score at least two goals, especially if one of them is five on three.
0: Yeah, but it, it, the big issue is that this is a trend that's been happening all season. I forget, wasn't weren't they also 0 for yeah. nine at one point
1: in a game against or? the New Jersey Devils? Yeah, they were 0 for nine on December 30th.
0: Yeah, it's we're seeing the trend here. This is nothing new for this team. Mm-hmm and they just need to
1: capitalize they do Uh, because if they don't there's two teams that are on the outside looking in that will capitalize and will knock you out of the postseason that's the uh, Florida Panthers and the Buffalo Sabres we'll talk more about them a little bit later in the show but up next Alex Nylander second pack to wilkes Bear. was he overhyped when he was called up we'll get to that right after the break Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm Nick Berlanski, that's Nick Horwat, and Alex Nylander has been sent back to the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton Penguins of the AHL. He played in six games with the Pittsburgh Penguins during this stint. He picked up one assist and averaged 13 minutes and 20 seconds of ice time, splitting of obviously between the second and third lines for the Pittsburgh Penguins forward core, but he's been a healthy scratch for the past eight games. So sent down for one of potentially multiple reasons. One could be looking to get him some games played before the playoffs come around. So he hasn't been sitting on the bench for Lord knows how long, once the playoffs come around, if the Penguins are able to get there two could mean the return of Nick Bonino, which we'll talk about in a minute. But before we get to that, Horwath, I'll pose the question to you Mm -hmm. because you posed the answer Mm -hmm. to me a little bit earlier in the weekend. Was Alex Nylander overhyped whenever he was called up to the Pittsburgh Penguins?
0: Yeah, probably. Uh, I I think he was overhyped, but not through anything that he did. He was overhyped because of the downfall of everybody else in the bottom six, right? He was overhyped because he was leading the AHL's Wilkes-Barre-Scranton Penguins in scoring, which is good. We're not going to say that's a bad thing. Um, But... Let's say if this let's say this was six, seven years ago and we're looking at Tom Kostopoulos leading the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton Penguins in scoring. Are we sh- hooting and hollering to have him called up? No. We're looking at him being a 25-year-old former first-round pick that has NHL ability and might be a better option than Jeff Carter or, at the time, Brock McGinn, Kasperi Kapanen, Danton Heinen. Uh, and we all wanted to jump at the opportunity understandable it's uh, completely understandable to say here's a guy who has a two-way contract who can play in the NHL and is doing this and is making this kind of production give him the shot and because you do earn that shot down there when that happens right mm-hmm. you do um I don't know if maybe we all expected too much though uh, because 1 point in six games on a secondary assist no less uh, is not I'm not gonna say what should have been expected but um, no one should be super surprised by it. Did he play well in the top six? Yes. He played well alongside uh, Malkin and Zucker, but I mean, has his previous NHL resume proven that he's worthy of a regular spot on this team? That's kind of the question that I posed in return of, yeah, I think he was a little overhyped clearly. And then where honestly does he sit?
1: It's an interesting situation because, again, similar to, in my eyes, the John Marino for Ty Smith trade, you traded a guy that, yeah, might not have been perfect in a sense, but he served a role for your NHL roster, and you bring in a guy that hasn't really done much for you. I mean, Alex Nylander, in those six games, like you mentioned, one secondary assist, and that was in his first game played. Same thing with Ty Smith and, and John Marino. Ty Smith whether that be because there's too many people ahead of him, whether that be because salary cap issues or contract issues, the fact that he doesn't have to go through waivers. He hasn't really made a difference to the NHL roster this year. And the Penguins traded away Sam Lafferty for Nylander. Lafferty was a major piece at this year's trade deadline. Whether he would have become that in Pittsburgh or not is a different story. That's something we can never really answer. John Marino has been a phenomenal defenseman for the New Jersey Devils all season long. So those moves get looked at. And, and get put under a microscope because of what came back in return and how we haven't seen really any return at the NHL level. So while, yes, I can feel that the fan base was eager to see Alex Nylander potentially come in and make an impact and make a difference, I don't really put that on the fan base. I don't put that on Nylander. I put that based on what he was acquired four, was a player that has been very, very productive for first the Chicago Blackhawks and now for a playoff team uh, in the Toronto Maple Leafs. Not productive in a points manner, but productive in he's playing a role at the NHL level and making an impact in that way. I don't think anybody expected Alex Nylander to genuinely come in and be a better top six option than Brian Rust or Ricard Raquel. He was never going to be that, right? He was never going to be... 2016 Brian Rust. He was never going to be 2017 Jake Gensel. That's just not where he's at at this stage of his career. But it was his ability to keep up with those guys and look like he at least belonged on the ice with those guys. Mm -hmm. Like, Dayton Heinen has been given a couple opportunities to play in the top six. It doesn't look like it works. Like it, It takes no time at all for Mike Sullivan to say, you know what, you're actually slowing these guys down. So Alex Neilander's ability to come in, provide a spark, and actually keep up with those guys and look like he belongs on that line, even if the production didn't come along with it, that's why I think a lot of people were excited, myself included, because it at least gave the Penguins another option in the lo- roster, whereas everybody wants to bash on Mike Sullivan for the way that he's deployed his lineup. He really does not have many options when it comes to trying to spread out the talent from the top six and help out the bottom six, because there's nobody really that has been able this season to go up and stay up in the top six and continue to be a good option. Nylander was really the first look at that, and it also symbolized that somebody of the young core was getting more than one game of a shot with the Pittsburgh Penguins in a decent role. He wasn't being given, hey, you got four minutes for three games, the Jonathan Gruden treatment. It's, you're going on the second line, and you're going to play 13, 14, 15 minutes a night and get an opportunity to make a difference. At the end of the day, did he? Not really. One assist. Didn't provide very many goals as far as setting other players up, creating opportunities, creating offense. But it symbolized that somebody was getting a shot, which we haven't seen in the past two seasons. So was he overhyped? I think to an extent, yes. But I see why there was so much excitement around the the call-up of an opportunity for Alex Nylander.
0: Yeah, and like you said, you were excited. I was excited. It was someone who was... Because Alex Nylander was someone deserving of the chance, and he got it. That's, you know, easy said and done there. He was deserving of his opportunity, and he was given it. Okay step one complete now step two is succeeding and just in plain english he didn't there's no other way of putting it he didn't i mean did he look good did he look presentable at an at an nhl level yes at this time of year though with the position these penguins are in boy we Mm -hmm. need results one assist in six games isn't going to do it don't know what Danton heinen has done to maintain his spot in the lineup but uh so be it there's no mike sullivan is out of options Clearly Alex Nylander wasn't, not wasn't a fit, not wasn't the answer, but just the timing wasn't there. Mm-hmm. The finish wasn't there. Uh, and just we just couldn't roll them anymore. So we had to healthy scratch him in favor of Ryan Paling, who's coming a long way and all of a sudden looking really fast. Finishing yeah. still not there as much yet. He's got more points in six games than Alex yeah. Nylander does um Danton Heinen again I don't, I don't we just don't have we don't have options Jeff Carter still in the lineup again we just don't have options but maybe Nick Benino returns who that might throw a wrench into a lot of this bottom six who knows what exactly happens uh but there's reasons for why Neilander was was hyped up and deservedly so but also a little overdone both things can be true and mm-hmm. who knows it, this is not also This is also not anybody saying he shouldn't be here next year. Give him another shot next year. Early in the season when there's time to build into it, mm-hmm. just make sure it's in the proper role because, I mean, his career high and games played at 65. <clears throat> Did that one time with the Chicago Blackhawks. He scored 26 points. I mean, really, he doesn't have much of a tra- NHL track record to prove he can cut it. Maybe COVID got in the way of that. Who knows? But also just... In the opportunity he was given this year, he didn't cut it. So we'll see what next year has in
1: store. Yeah, I think as far as next year is concerned, guys like Nylander, guys like Pustinen, I don't know if they were really ever given a shot this year to make the team out of camp. They need to be given that shot next year. Like Pustinen, we talked about it, played with Crosby and Gensel for the better part of the first week of training camp, and then basically was an afterthought. Like, was not, like, yes. I don't think he performed well enough necessarily, but I don't think even if he did, there was really a shot for him to make the roster just because of the way it was constructed. So they need to be given a shot next year, uh, especially if they're able to progress throughout the summer uh, in the ways that some of these players have um, over certain summers. But you mentioned Nick Benino there. I think that's a great segue. He could be coming back. Uh, obviously, we've heard in the past from Mike Sullivan that he's expecting... Nick Benino to return before the end of the regular season. Well, we're right up against it now. Five games, like we said, 10 days remaining. He was placed on LTIR last month retroactive to March 9th, which means he is eligible whenever he's ready to come off LTIR and get into the lineup if if need be. Uh, but he did miss the last couple of weeks, almost a month, with a lacerated kidney. None of us know the recovery time for a lacerated kidney, but the positive news is Nick Benino has been back on the ice and has been skating, when do you envision a Nick Bonino return for the Pittsburgh Penguins?
0: I I do not know. Because now that I was th- I, I was thinking about that lander move a little more, um, would it have... Because in situations like this, don't they normally activate the player and send the player back down to the minors at the same time? Usually at least in the same day. Yeah, so... Um, Now this one kind of confused me a little. Uh, Who knows exactly what's going on. I would assume somebody is coming back, though. Not necessarily Nick Bonino. Maybe one of the defensemen. They're all skating. All four players that are out are skating. And, again, for what it's worth, Jan Ruda was never taken off of the active roster. Uh, So he can just fly right back in. I'm assuming if anyone's coming back, it's not him. Uh, But all four of Ruda, Patterson... (laughs) Kulikov, and Bonino, they're all skating, and Sullivan said they will all return before the end of the regular season. Well, they got five games. They got today, they got Thursday, Saturday, next Tuesday, next Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, the time is there for them, but I don't know who it could be. I would just assume one of them. Today, maybe. Yeah. Just because... Um, maybe they—maybe the Penguins got a little cap relief. Maybe they penny-pinched but with that early lander send-down, but... Who knows? I'm a, I am would assume someone comes back. As for Benino himself, hard to tell. I haven't seen any of them skate. I haven't been able to gauge where they are. I would say Benino comes back Saturday. How's that one?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think we all have any idea what that process is, like I said earlier. So it's, it's, it's hard to pinpoint a time, but it seems as if all four of those guys are trending in the right direction. I haven't heard much in the way of setbacks. I haven't had much in the way of obviously getting back with the team. There hasn't been many practices for the team as they've been kind of just focusing on gameplay.
0: Yeah. That's the other thing that I just remembered too. Matt Venzel tweeted out yesterday that there was no official team practice yesterday. They were getting ready to leave for New Jersey, but all four of those players were skating in Cranberry. Hmm. So maybe a skate before they left, maybe a skate at home and staying home hard yeah. to tell whenever it's just one game on the road and then immediately coming back home for a game so yeah who knows at this point uh it's hard to pin a nail in anything until other tweets are made other news is yeah given so
1: hard to say now i know the the general thought process would be if you send the spare forward down and you only have 12 healthy forwards on the roster you would expect the forward that's injured to be coming back. But at the same time, if you look at the road trips that they have remaining on the season, there are none of them are more than one game. Mm -hmm. They have New Jersey tonight, which is closer to Wilkes-Barre than Pittsburgh is. Then you have Chicago or sorry, you have Detroit and then you have Columbus. They're not very far road trips and they're all one game. So if worse comes to worse and they go down a forward, it's not as hard to get a forward to the game as it was to get a goaltender to Dallas. So it's not like they're going on these long road trips and are going to need help just in case. They're going to be able, and if worse comes to worse, they'll just play 11 forward 7D if they have the guys on the roster that are healthy. But uh, that's where my brain immediately went. I was like, oh, forward going down, forward coming back. It's Nick Bonino. But because of the way the schedule is laid out over the last 10 games, does not necessarily have to be the case because they can always get somebody to one of those closer road trips uh, than they had in the past. But with Bonino's return, whenever it is, where does he fit into the roster? Because in my eyes, there's a very real chance that he doesn't even get into the lineup when he's healthy.
0: Uh, Yeah, there, that's a very real possibility. There is. We brought him back for the vibes, for the feels, right? Let's <laughs> let's just be honest. Did he was was he immediately the highest scoring bottom six player? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but um I don't know. It's it's just a very real possibility, much like the defense when it comes to a fully healthy defense, that there's just a logjam of mm. the forward core is a little different because at least at the defense we look at that and go, Okay, they they are all NHL caliber just most of them happen to be uh, having a down spell, whereas at mm-hmm. least in the in the forward core, you look at it and go, "Okay, it's a logjam of oh goodness gracious, this is not good." It's a yeah. it is a comedy of errors, really. Does mm-hmm. and where does Benino fit? I- ideally, you say in the Jeff Carter spot, but we all know that's mm-hmm. not going to happen. So.
1: Yeah, no, Jeff Carter and Mikhail Granlin, I know that they've been the two most inconsistent and probably the two players that have drawn the ire of Penguins Twitter the most over the entire season. Neither of them are coming out of the lineup. Like, I'm sorry to break that to you, but if you want that to happen, you're probably going to have to wait at least till a pass next season. Like, they're not coming out of the lineup. They're staying there the remainder of this season and probably most of next season. So it's neither of them. I don't think that Mike Sullivan would take out Drew O'Connor, Ryan Paling, or even Josh Archibald. Now I do question Archibald mm-hmm. because you could take him out. You could move Jeff Carter to the right wing on the fourth line, and you could put Nick Benino in there at center. But also what Josh Archibald brings, not a lot of guys in this bottom six do, especially on that fourth line. Like you look at that fourth line, Carter, doesn't really play all that physical, doesn't really do all that much in the way of, you know, speedy forecheck. Like, he, he, that's not him. O'Connor does, but at the same time, O'Connor's not going to drop the mitts. Unfortunately, the smallest forward on the lineup is probably the only guy that's going to sit there and drop the mitts and and stand up for his other players. Like, people will get into scuffles. Josh Archibald will actually drop the gloves. We Mm -hmm. saw that against the Capitals. I I don't know if any of these other players, maybe Paling will, uh, maybe Carter will, but I just like what Josh Archibald brings, especially in a playoff-style game. Now, the only player I could think of is Danton Heinen. The problem with that is, do you put drew drew o'connor back up on the third line with hein out and who goes over to that third line left or fourth line left wing i i have to look up if josh archibald can play both sides
0: uh nick panino can play in that spot he's
1: he he can play left he's left wing too yeah okay and i think that was one of the oh, big reasons go. why
0: we traded for him in the first place too was the fact that he could play not only center but also a wing or if there you, you truly need to screw it. It's your fourth line. None of those, none of those players are going to produce offense. Anyway, just hit shuffle. Just put, put Carter on whichever wing he wants to go on. Say arch. All right. Your real job is to kind of throw the body. Anyway, Nick Benino wins some face-offs for us. And if you get called early on one, get the little false start, Jeff Carter, go in and wait, win face-offs for us. But also that's Mm -hmm. the other thing. Mike Sullivan likes the way Jeff Carter can win face-offs. So yeah, easy. Nick Benino on the left wing
1: on the fourth line. Um, I don't like that, though. Like, the only problem with that then becomes, like, I'm not trying to say that I I don't want Nick Bonino in this lineup. I don't really have many feelings towards it or against it because he's kind of just like the Patrick Marlowe thing, but he can kill penalties a little bit better, and he's actually done something with the Penguins organization as opposed to Marlowe who did everything with the Sharks and then came here and scored one goal and did nothing else the rest of the year. Um, But if you put Bonino next to Carter, you're really – you're really slowing down that fourth line like the best we've seen from carter has been because he's he's circled by two fruit flies in josh Archibald and drew o'connor like they're they're flying around the ice and causing havoc and jeff carter is just kind of like a shark just right in the middle just kind of pacing it waiting for his opportunity and then when he gets his opportunity he shoots the puck whatever and that's the best we've seen from carter because he's been surrounded by fast guys that are going to cover the majority of the ice while he can just stay in his lane. You put Benino out there, and you're opening up a lot more ice that is going to be uncovered because neither of those guys are quite fleet of foot at this stage in their career. So I don't know how much I like that. I could see it happening. It, I, I could really see Danton Heinen being the guy that sits for those guys just because Danton Heinen has is, is taken healthy scratches all season long, and it seems like Mike Sullivan... Is not shy when it comes to taking him out of the lineup. And when you look around at the rest of the names, I just don't see anybody else that would come out in favor of Benino.
0: Yeah, and Danton Heinen's back on his nonsense of let's see. Uh not really doing anything. Two assists only in his last twelve games. Yeah. So Yeah, back's not really doing anything. That's extremely not ideal. I also am assuming there was a game between March. 14th and 20th so he's been healthy scratched in recent memory too so he was healthy scratched for Kneelander. Ugh, yeah so mm-hmm. if anyone's going out i bet it's him we like joe yeah. connor and what he can bring quite a lot we like what josh archibald brings jeff carter's just not going anywhere do we lose speed in this trade-off
1: yes but for he- heinen for for benito It goes back to our earlier discussion. Nick Bonino can kill penalties. Mm -hmm. Danton Heinen can't. Yep. (laughs) So that's that's why it's gonna end up on the. He's gonna end up back in the roster. Um, But honestly, we don't we don't even know when Nick Bonino is gonna come back. But when he does, that's probably what happens. I like that we workshopped that because in the top of my mind, I I couldn't think of where he was gonna fit in the lineup. But I completely forgot about Danton Heinen because. Uh, as I like to call him, Mr. Houdini, he's just disappeared once again. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in on the wildcard race with 10 days remaining in the NHL regular season. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast. Brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Sorry for those of you listening to that. I don't know why I just screamed in the microphone with "brought to you," but uh, that's what we did. Uh, the wild card race is continuing to look like it's going to come down to the very, very last day of the NHL regular season. And now there's another team that has kind of butted into this race that if you don't see them coming, they might just surprise you, and that is the Buffalo Sabres. So where we sit right now, the New York Islanders have the first card position with 87 points, but only four games remaining, the least amount of any team left in this race. The Pittsburgh Penguins are one point behind them with 86, with five games remaining. So if they could win that game in hand, they will overtake the Islanders for the first wild card spot the penguins have a one game advantage on the florida or one point advantage on the florida panthers with the same amount of games remaining as that is getting oh so close which means also the panthers with a game in hand could tie the islanders with one win in that game in hand so the islanders are in a precarious position there but also the buffalo sabers with 7 games remaining have 81 points, and you can say, Oh, you know what? Five points is tough to make up. When you have those two games in hand, that's four of them right there without even having the Penguins needing to lose or the Islanders needing to lose. And genuinely, the Buffalo Sabres, if they win all their games in hand, would tie the New York Islanders at 87 points. So it's getting very close in the Eastern Conference playoff race.
0: Oh, it's it, it and it's going to keep being this close. I don't think I've ever seen the odds this even. I- Money Puck's been doing their little daily odds tracker. Um, And when we're just looking at, for just looking at the Penguins and Panthers for this very second, uh, Penguins 61.5, Panthers 61.6. Oh, it is a tight race between those two. The Islanders at 72.8, but again, like you said, still that possibility of just slipping out of this because no games in hand, really. And with, and three games back of them are the Buffalo Sabres with a 4% chance. Modest. Happy to be there and happy to watch that expand if it can. If they beat Florida tonight, that's expect that four to go up. And yeah. desperately do the Penguins need to do something here. It's uh, five games left. This is crunch time. If your spot's not sealed, it gets scary. And here we are talking up percentages on an
1: analytical site. <clears throat> Yeah, I would love to to get a, a pull behind the curtain on how they actually figure that out. Because it seems like it's a little too volatile when it comes to percentage chances. Um, because there was one point that the Penguins were at 90% chance. And I'm like, well, if they're at 90 then and down at 60 now, it's not like they've lost every game. But regardless, uh, Money Puck is still probably one of the predominant sources for, for finding out percentages there. Uh, but the Pittsburgh Penguins over the weekend, went 2-1 and one in, their, in their three-game homestand. And if you remember back to last Thursday's episode, I said this season, what is remaining of it at least, is cut into three sections. The three-game homestand, the two games against playoff teams, and then the final three against teams that are out of the race completely. I said they needed four of six points over the weekend. They got four of six points. They're gonna need a win either tonight or Thursday. If you get both you're sitting in a pretty good position because you have three games left. You are guaranteed at that point to still be in a playoff spot with three games left against Detroit, Chicago, and Columbus. So these two games, if you could go out there and win these two games, you're going to be a really good position if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now the problem being the Penguins are 0-3 against the New Jersey Devils this season. They have beaten the Minnesota Wild, but this Minnesota Wild team is clicking on all cylinders so it's going to be a very very tough week for the pittsburgh penguins they need to come out firing on all cylinders in all aspects of the game especially tonight against the devils
0: yep yeah and you're looking to avoid a season sweep against the devils here too you've been swept by too many teams already this season islanders hurricanes bruins that's that's just bleeding points all over the place by getting swept by teams like that. They're all playoff teams. They're all good teams that you might face. It's you just need a win. You need a point, get an overtime loss. You need points get anything you can.
1: Yeah. Collect. Yeah. That's the big thing about that game against Boston. They were tied with what, seven minutes to go and they give up that goal y- y- or whatever, however much time was left. It was late in the third period that you were tied and, and then David Posternock scores that hat trick goal, and you're like, even if you could have just like, like you said, one power play goal on a five on three, you get into overtime, and how important is that? You'd be in wild card one right now. Tied with the Islanders with a game in hand. So you could just and you'd have two points on the Panthers as well, which is, is massive. So it's really coming down to every single point is gonna make a massive difference in your playoff chances. They squandered the opportunity on Saturday. They cannot do that against the Devils in Minnesota, especially if they're in the game late, if they're tied. You need to get to that overtime. Like You need to get the win, but you need to, at the very least, get to that overtime period to get that pity point.
0: Yeah, it's it's not ideal we're discussing the idea of collecting a singular point in a hockey game, but... But that's bare minimum. Yeah, that's the bare minimum. That's the point of the season that we're at, that we'll just take... You know, five games left. Let's say you get five points out of that.
1: I don't know. Probably not enough. But... No. I, I still think they're going to need 94 or more. You got to get there. You, gotta get there. you it, got to get there. That's, that's tough.
0: That's four or five to get that. I mean... Oh, more power, too. Have we
1: beat the... Yeah, we... No. Did we beat the Red Wings yet? No. Oh, look they at that. Another the team. That. They're 0-2 against the Red Wings they blew a they got up four to nothing in the first game which was back in december and then they ended up losing that game i believe five to four or six to five in overtime because they had the the detroit red wings i think his name was wallman did the mm-hmm. the gritty at ppj pants arena which is not good and then of course we remember what happened last week and david perron just absolutely ending that game with a fury and casey to not being able to save a puck so yeah they need to beat the detroit red wings They need to beat Chicago, who they did beat in their earlier game this season, and they need to beat Columbus, who they've beaten a lot over the past couple of seasons. So they need to keep that going. But with the Pittsburgh Penguins coming down the stretch, there's a couple of things that are going in their favor. Sidney Crosby is now three points away from 1,500. It didn't happen storybook-wise like I said it was going to, uh, but he is three points away from 1,500. That's something to watch out for in the last five games of the season. And Brian Rust had himself a really good weekend. Celebrated his 500th game played in the NHL on Sunday, the same day that Latang celebrated 1,000. But he's starting to find his scoring touch. Three goals in the last two games played. He's one goal away from another 20-goal season. If Rust can continue to not score three goals in, in two games like that's it's a great pace but that's not sustainable but if he can continue to finish his opportunities which he hasn't been doing really much this season that's going to be a massive boost for the Pittsburgh Penguins as they try to capture that last playoff spot
0: it'll be huge especially because he just hasn't been good recently right we're having real discussions of how uh, Brian Russ just hasn't been good enough and then he goes off and does does that for this past weekend that's exactly what they need Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, he's a top six player, uh, and it's nice. It would be nice to see the bottom six get that kind of luck. But any extra point will help. Any extra skill will help.
1: Mm-hmm. And he's gonna be a huge part of that. He has to. Yeah, be. yeah. The Pittsburgh Penguins need all hands on deck for the remaining five games of the season. Starts tonight against the New Jersey Devils a team that has really taken it to the penguins all season long when they've matched up. So the penguins tonight would be a huge win, not only for team morale, not only for standings, but for just absolute faith and belief that this team will make the playoffs and do something when they get there. They need to win this game tonight. They do. (laughs) Easy as that. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. I love the sound effects, but that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. We will be back later this week with an episode. We'll see you guys next time.